You're listening to Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. I am your host, Eric Konovalov, and I believe that we can achieve everything we want if we take our leadership, sales ability, and personal growth to a higher level. On this show, we share ideas on how to break through our invisible boundaries, start taking steps towards our dreams, and create the life we desire. I invite you to open your mind to new possibilities, new ideas, and to the truth that everything you want is possible for you. Thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience podcast, where we talk about all kinds of awesome things, but especially that human experience. Today, I have a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Christine Zielinski. Christine has been in the salon industry for over 30 years. She's owned a salon for the last 22 years. And when I talk to you about a roller coaster ride, buckle up because her story is really going to inspire you and motivate you because she's hit the lows of the low and she's hit the highs of the high and, and, and everything you guys can imagine. She's a single mother of two. She's an executive business coach and she's a TEDx speaker. So Christine, welcome to the show. Ah, uh, Thank you so much, Eric. Great to be here with you. Yeah, it's so cool to be here with you as well. So talk to me. So, you know, 30 years ago, by the way, you look like you're 35. So I don't know what uh, you were doing this salon <laughs> 30 years ago. But all right, 30 years ago, what was your first job in the salon? So 30 years ago, when I first came into the industry, I started out in a small salon as an apprentice. And that was right out of cosmetology school. And uh, shortly after that, I had a burning desire to go into, you know, work with some more high profile hairdressers and salons. So I went and started working in Manhattan. Um, and that, uh, that's the best industry. Now, you've worked with some of the best names out there, didn't you? Yes. I w- I've been part of the Vidal Sassoon company. I was part of them for 10 years. Okay. So that taught me a lot about the industry, working with some of the best People in the industry, I'm, I moved to uh, Los Angeles and taught, uh, Vidal Sassoon has a, uh, an academy that teaches hairdressers all around the world. So I, I worked there for several years. After that, I, I became a, uh, what, what was called the Davinus Visionary Artist. And that's a, a manufacturer that sells product, but also teaches hairdressers um, all around the world. So so what's that, where does that passion come from to teach hairdressers? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. My, my TED Talk is a little bit about this, but growing up, I grew up with a learning disability. I have uh, dyslexia and ADD. And so I was always challenged when it came to sitting in a classroom. And, you know, I was, I was challenged a lot with who I was growing up. Like I was... Um, so because I didn't feel like I fit into mainstream school, and so I was, I would sort of take the long way around things, <laughs> not always the best way. And so um, I started hairdressing when I was in school, um, first started with my own hair, and then every person that I could get my hands on, I did their hair. And so I think the passion came from watching people's expression and seeing how they felt by what I could do for them. And so that's initially where it came from. I, I, I was just 
really taken back by the fact that I could make somebody feel that good. That's very, very cool. Okay. So, so you got through that and then was the, what was the transition into entrepreneurship? So the transition was I, I'd always, I'd left Vidal soon because I wanted to open my own company. And immediately when I left, I became an independent educator. So I started freelancing, knocking on doors, going to salons, letting them know my experience that I would love to teach their staff. Um, I was very interested in, in helping salons develop training programs. So I did that for several years. And then, um, I found a small salon in a town that I wanted to open and I went into the salon and I said to the owner, I said, I would love to open a salon down the street. I just want you to know that ahead of time. And um, what I would like to do is I would like to build my own clientele in your space, give your staff all the education that I can and grow them while I'm here. And then I would like to leave and be able to go open my salon. And she was very nice and allowed me to do that. Wow. That's gutsy. Yeah. So what was in it for her? Well, what it was in it for her was I would train her and her staff. That's so it. because I had a lot of experience, um, the other thing that was in, in it for her was I never, I did all my own advertising and I never took anything. So I would never take one client that the salon would bring in. I would get all my own, my own guests. And the other thing is I would purchase all my own products. So I went in knowing that I was going to do this and with an agreement that it was okay for me to do it. You bet on you. Yes. You know, you said that um, when you decided to start your own business, it's like you just went and knocked on doors and asked them if you could teach their staff. It was that simple for you. Yeah, I just, I think because of my background and understanding that I knew what I was doing and having the confidence that I know that I could train your team better than the way they are now, working more cohesively. And I knew that if I did that, because I already saw the impact that it had on hairdressers. And I knew if I could do that for a whole company, then I knew what would happen to, there would be transformation in their team and there would be transformation in their bottom line. So I knew if I spoke to a salon owner and let them know that they're going to profit based on what I can teach their team, it would make Mm -hmm. a difference. So you were you teaching, I, I was under the impression you were teaching them how to cut hair. Is it more than that? Yeah. So, well, I was, I do teach them how to cut hair, but one of the things that I like is I like to see the results. So instead of just going in and doing a haircutting class and never seeing someone again, what I did is I would go into salons that were willing to invest in training programs for, let's say a year. So I would come into their, their salon once a month for one year. And I would work with their staff. And this way I could build an entire training program and I could work with their top people and their top people will then be able to, um, to lead their training. So it was more than just a one-off haircutting class. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But you were already doing that. Like, what was the, 
what was the pull or push into entrepreneurship? I mean, now you're taking all the risk. I mean, you seems like you're working for a good company, well known. You're traveling around. What I, was it? I think it was that I just wanted. Well, I'll tell you what propelled me to leave was I didn't feel like there was a strong enough path for me, and I did. I I didn't value the leadership that was there. Mm. So. Um, I would have probably stayed for a long time had I saw a better path for myself, but I didn't see that. And I am, I'm very artistic, but I love business. So I really enjoy equally both of those things. And it could be sort of challenging at times because, um, you know, one hand, you know, one side of your brain doesn't speak always to the other exactly the way you want it to. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but shortly after I became an independent educator, I opened my own salon and I was very inspired by the way that Al Sassoon did it. I wanted to do it just like he did it. So I trained all my own people. So every single person that came in, I took from cosmetology school and trained them and, and brought them up. Each each one. So I never hired anyone with a following or or had any clients. I helped them to develop all the way. And so, have you tracked this? Was how long ago? Twenty two years ago. Twenty two years. And so, have you tracked them since? Like, do you still talk to any of the ones who you've hired? You know, twenty two years ago, right out of cosmetology school. Yes, my first employee, one of my first employees, Katie. I still keep in touch with her. She has children. She doesn't really do hair much. Um, she came back to work for me for a short time, but she, it was, it was difficult for her, but, um, yeah, I still talk to several of them. Some of them come back, they get their hair cut by me, you know, they, they talk about the value that I added in, in their life. Cause you know, we have a big turnover in our industry. So my staff retention has always been 10, 11 years is usually, which is pretty significant in our industry. Because right now the turnover rate is about two or three years, but that's how that's how long people stay. So what's the difference? Like, what's the difference between the one where someone's willing to stay for eleven years and where they're turning over every two to three years? Well, I think the difference is is if you could provide them education that's going to help them to achieve their goals. That's the biggest difference. Is how much are you willing to invest in them, and that. It takes a lot of security, I think, from a salon owner to be able to do that and understand that I'm willing to invest in every single employee that comes to me, whether they decide they're going to stay or go. And that's hard for people to accept. Because they want to, you know, they they don't want to lose them, essentially. No, they don't. And in the beginning, it was very difficult for me to lose people. I have to say, I I have come a long way. You know, as an owner, you want to see people stay, you you feel like you want to make them stay, you know, and if they don't stay, remember having non-competes and taking people to court and just doing things that now that I think back, I say wasted energy, things that I could have been spending way more time on positive, more positive things. And, you know, John Maxwell says those that take you here are not necessarily the people that are going to take you there. And I live by that. So I am always very thankful now. And I have a lot of gratitude for every single thing that every employee along the way has taught me. 
it just, it's added such value to my life. And, you know, many times it wasn't always good. You know, as an entrepreneur, you experience some difficult situations and those, I, I'm, I feel like those are my biggest blessings. Yeah. No, I can't wait to get into those, but how old, how old are your daughters now? My oldest is uh, 19 and then my youngest is 12. Okay. So three years into being an entrepreneur, you've survived, you got your own salon growing and you have a baby at that point. Yeah. Do you remember that point in your life? Yes. (laughs) I, well, I do remember because I had my own salon and I was still an educator. So I was still traveling. And I remember it was around 9-11 and the week after 9-11, I had scheduled to go to what was called a, uh, a, a what well, was a business event in, in my industry. And it was all about understand the financials, understanding, you know, profit and loss, statement of ca- cash flows, you know, all of those things that are so important for us to understand. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that when I opened my business. I opened my business on, you know, passion. That's that's what I opened my vision. I, I I knew I was good at what I was doing. I knew I wanted to teach other people, and that's why I did it. And so I didn't really, I didn't think about. I mean, I wanted to make money, but I really didn't have a plan of how much I wanted to make. What did I even look like? I just I knew I wanted to add value to people's lives, and I wanted to teach hairdressers, and that's why I did it. And so shortly after that, I realized I have to have a bigger plan. And so, <laughs> so Why? I start- what was caught, like, what was happening in your business that you're like, something's not working. I didn't have a career path. I was teaching. I was actually in my, it, it was my third year, I think at the time. And, um, I was very successful. I started to train a lot of stylists coming out of cosmetology school. I would, I would do clients and then I would just feed those clients to stylists. So I think at the time, maybe approximately I had 10, 11 stylists at the time and I was growing, but I was growing in a very painful way because I didn't have a path. So I was, I was chasing you know, trying to figure out what, what is my next step? What do I do? And I think that's really what caused a lot of the pain. What did you figure out? What was the, what was missing for you? Like, what was that path you created? Having a system. That was the biggest thing is understanding that every single thing in my company had to be documented. So (laughs) I have 2,200 salon systems now, But understanding even down to, you know, it's so silly, but down to putting a roll of toilet paper in the toilet, you know, into, you know, the bathroom, like just everything, making sure that every single thing that we do is documented. How are we hiring people? What are the interview questions? So that I, I can then hand these things off to other people. And so, you know, who am I training my next in line? How am I multiplying myself? So these were all things I didn't have that leadership plan. I had, I had the plan of, I'm going to train my next stylist and I'm going to get them on the floor. But then what happened was I, I bogged myself down because I was wearing all the hats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so right now you're an executive coach. Do you only coach salon owners or are you coaching outside of the industry as well? 
no, I coach both outside the industry and in, in, the, in the industry as well. So I've never been in the salon industry, but everything you're saying has such parallels to the corporate world. Um, what are you seeing when you coach an executive who's possibly running a team, a sales team, a marketing team, whatever they're doing in the corporate world and how it, you know, how it relates to what you went through? I think it's business is business. I don't really see that difference. Like a lot of times in my industry, a lot of people will say, I, I've heard them say time and time again, well, you're not, you know, I'm glad you're in the salon industry. I said, it wouldn't matter if I wasn't in the salon industry, to be honest with you, because it, it really is all the same. You know, you, we need systems in every business. We need leadership in every every company. We have to train our next in line so that it gives us freedom to concentrate on the vision and do things that other people can't do. And so we have to do that, whether we're an executive in a company or we have to do that, whether we're, you know, an owner of a salon, either way. So I don't really see any difference. That is so true. I remember the last company I worked for, um, there was one guy who wore three hats. It was a small company. One guy wore three hats. And the owner would get so pissed at him that he's not training up his replacement because at one point his wife had a baby. He took a few weeks off work to stay home with the new baby and nobody knew what to do. And it was a failure because he took in finances. He managed the delivery guys like he really had a pivotal role. What are you seeing when you're coaching executives? When they're not training up their their next in line, what's the. What's the excuse or what are the reasons they're giving you? It's different for everyone, but I think some of the challenges are they don't know how to delegate. If they have, if they don't have follow through skills, that's a challenge because what's happening is they're lacking trust with the people that they're leading. And so, you know, there's so many different variations of, of challenges that they could mm-hmm. be having. I think that uh, some people don't really understand how to communicate. Um, so the accountability issues are a big deal. Um, I spent about 10 years working with, um, fierce conversations. I don't know if you know, this is a book by Susan Scott. My, one of my business coaches was qualified under her. She was a coach for, for Susan. And so for 10 years, she worked really closely with myself and my company taught all my employees. So we've had that business model in place for a really long time. And part of it is really teaching people how to have fierce conversations. Like how do you have confrontation conversation? How do you have an accountability conversation? How do you let somebody, you know, how they made you feel by acting a certain way and and not really, you know, demeaning them. And these are, these are all so important in our companies. And it's probably where I spent the most amount of time is in communication training. Okay. Give me your best one. What's your favorite thing to teach on that gives people the biggest aha moment? Here's a, here's your chance to shine. Cause we got some listeners out here. They're going to be like, Oh my God, she's amazing. <laughs> well, I, I would say one of those, the one thing that if you're an entrepreneur or you're a leader, you understand what I'm going to say. Um, when I say this is people will come to you and expect you to save them from some, someone else. So they've come to you with all your problems, with their problems. And I used to say to them, I, I've done this at, at staff meetings where I put sticky notes all over me 
And I say, every one of you is coming to me with a problem. And this is what I look like at the end of the day. I look like a bunch of sticky notes. And I can't, I can't solve all of your issues. So the, the way that I'm going to be a good leader is I'm going to help you to communicate and for you to have these conversations effectively. And what's going to, what's going to happen at the end by me doing this is it's going to allow you to build trust with your team. And it's also going to allow you to show up with more respect. And every single person on the team, including the owner, wants more respect. But if we don't give it by having these effective conversations, then we're not going to get it. Got and it. so for me to have an effective conversation with somebody is by saying to like, if someone said something or showed up a certain way. So I'll give you an example. If somebody showed up a certain way, they were late. You know, I would let them know when you were late, it made me feel disrespected. Hmm. It made me feel as though you disrespected my time. And so what's happening by saying that is I'm not telling them they're wrong. I'm allowing them to understand when this happened, this is the way I feel. And so what happens is it takes the blame off of them and it just allows you to let them know how you feel about the situation. And what do you hope to get out of that? Well, what it does is it allows the person to reflect on their behavior and to think about if if they did something or they said something that was disrespectful or sometimes we don't un, we don't even think about it we just say something and then we walk away because we're unaware of how that affected somebody and so what i like to do is i like to have people say this you know we call it the five words and so when you say this when you i feel or i felt because, right? So you're you're letting them know because they did this, it made you feel this way. And so what you want to get out of it is you want to get trust and you want to get the team communicating with each other so that they understand how their behavior is making somebody else feel. Because otherwise, as a leader, guess what? You're going to listen to everyone's feelings. Yeah, no, that that is such brilliant advice because I could see that working with my kids, right? Yeah. As a parent, as a and I see my my older one specifically when I say something to him in a certain way, he gets defensive, and that's that's what that's what you're avoiding with this conversation, isn't it? Yes, you, and you're you don't want to get defensive, and a lot of times what happens, Eric, is if I said to you, Eric, when you did that, you know, you really made me mad. Like, I don't, I can't make you mad. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, I, I'm not going to, so this way, I'm just letting you know how, what, what you said made me feel. And you don't have to say anything. It really, you could say, okay. And, but as long as I know that you and I communicated it. Yeah. Cause otherwise you're stewing on, on it all day. You're mad at the person. Half the time they don't even know you're mad at them. <laughs> like, that's yeah. really cool that you're opening up those channels. Okay. And so, another one that, that worked really well too is, is it's checking your emotional wake. So did you ever say something 
and then you as a as a you know a ceo or you say something and then you're like e think yeah you know like five and so, times a day <laughs> and so always going back to somebody and i've done that before and but it's always checking to make sure that whatever it is that you said you know what i just i just want to follow up with you and so that one that one is really important yeah and i've i've actually done that oh my god i remember I was very close with one of the people on my team and I said something to her, but we've worked together for like three and a half years at this point. Like we had the type of relationship. I kind of could feel what she feels at the moment. And I knew it wasn't, it didn't go over well. And it was in a meeting with a client that maybe I interrupted her to say something. And then on the way home, we both, we both met there. So she drove off. I drove a different way on the way home. I called her. I said, Hey, I just want to talk to you about this moment where I said this. She's like, you know, I've really, and she went on like, yeah, yeah, I really didn't like that. This is what happened. And she let me know. I said, well, here's exactly why I did it. And I'm, I felt like I shouldn't have done it. And at the end, she's like, hey, thank you so much for calling me and letting me know that it actually felt great. I mean, that that's really awesome. I saw that firsthand and I wish... I mean, that's one that I caught. I can't tell you how many I didn't catch that they just went on. I ruined their day. They went home, yelled at their kids, got in a fight with their spouse. Like, <laughs> you know, that all that happens. Like we're dealing with people here. All right, Christine. So what would be the opposite of that? Somebody comes in late. What give me an example of what not to do? Well, I think what not to do. I I have a whole different opinion on things like this because I established this year, uh, something called a shared agreement in my company. And instead of just putting policies in place, I put, um, I, we as a company, now I have a small company, um, but we designed our values. We designed our, um, our core values together. And we also designed the standard in which we want people to behave in our company. And so, Time management is a big deal. And so what we did was we all have a shared agreement that if someone shows up a certain way, we gave everybody what the consequence, like what would you want your consequence to be if you didn't follow through on your commitment? 10 burpees. So whatever it is, <laughs> it could be, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't mind if I get sent home because that's normally what we would do, but everybody has a different thing. And yeah. so um, these are really conversations that we have decided and agreed upon as a group. And you know and, what? It's it, Sorry for interrupting you. I think this is huge that you guys decided as a group that time management and showing up on time is super important because if somebody... If somebody shows up late and they have clients waiting, that means everybody gets backed up and your clients are waiting longer. And so in your world, that's a big no-no. I can't imagine having an appointment for a hairstylist that I know takes two hours and the hairstylist shows up 15, 20 minutes late. Now I'm late the rest of the day. Yeah. And we expect our stylist to come in 15 to 20 minutes ahead of time at least because they have to prepare for their day. Otherwise, like you said, it's a domino effect. Yeah. Um, and so know. that's important. But there are some rules that companies put together that make no sense whatsoever. 
for example, when you're in sales, there's a lot of organizations will have the standing rule that probably somebody wrote 50 years ago that you have to have a college degree or that you have to be on time in the office. Now, I agree if we have a team meeting, you have to be on time in sales. But if there's no team meeting, you have a quota. I, so I'm the, I lead to results. Like I, I just want results. I'm not going to micromanage. You're not a baby. And there are going to be times where you're going to work at 7 p.m. And there are going to be times where you're going to come in at 9 and you'll come in at 7.30 and at 8. I don't care. And so I, my, I remember when I was a sales manager at Xerox, my VP of sales who had three different offices, when he was in my office, he would notice that some of my team would come in late. And he'd pull me off to the side and he'd say, you know, um, they're supposed to be here at eight o'clock. And he showed up at 8.30 and she showed up at nine or whatever. I'm like, okay, why should why are they supposed to be here at eight o'clock? Help me understand this. I don't understand it. <laughs> help me, yeah. help me understand. So it was no to- more, it was no longer relevant for for you or your company, really. It was just I didn't think so. Right. And that used to drive them nuts. And I had the same thing with HR. Found an awesome. So I, when I got that position, I didn't have a college degree. When I was leading their team, I didn't have a college degree. I finally, I was going to school. You know, I got out of the military, was going to school evenings and weekends. And finally, probably a year and a half after working there, I finally got that piece of paper and it's hanging on the wall over here. I got it because I promised my mom I would get it. So when HR told me, I, whoever I had on my team had to have a college degree, but I didn't have a college degree. I was, I felt like the biggest, you know, hypocrite, number one. Yeah. I'm like, well, why do you need a college degree? Help me understand this. What does that mean? And uh, we used to butt heads, but I love, I, so, so I'm talking to you guys out there who are leaders, check your rules. Like, yeah. what, what are they preventing you from? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. We would document everything. And our manual was like this thick. But I have to tell you, and I, the new people that are coming up are not going to look at a document that's this thick anymore. Nope. It's got to be right to the point. It has to be relevant to what's going on, just like what you're saying. It has to make sense. We can't use manuals that are old. We have to, you know, it doesn't, it could be the top 10 things in your company that are just non-negotiables and why they're non-negotiables. And yeah. so that's what we have. We have non-negotiables. These are, these are just, they're not flexible. And these are the reasons why they're not flexible. They're not flexible because if you're late, it's going to impede on every single client and it's going to have zero return for everyone. Because if we lose clients, then we lose money and then you lose you, you lose money in your pocket and we lose money as a company. So that it's not acceptable. So then it's just laying down those rules. But what I love is I want to get buy-in from my people because if I get buy-in from them, they truly believe why the rule is important, then they're the ones that are going to hold other people accountable. And that's what you want. You want people to understand why you're doing it. Not like you, Eric, is like, this doesn't make sense. I want them to say this makes so much sense. They, they came up with it. <laughs> they own it. <laughs> they uh, own it. Yeah. So you're and not I, Xerox, right? So I get, I get it. But if you're a smaller company, even medium size, I totally agree with you. But how do you logistically do that? Like you guys are open what time to what time? 
So we're open uh, eight in the morning and then we close at seven at night. Eight to seven. And I'm sure you got staggering shifts. So it's not somebody's Mm -hmm. probably not working the 11 hours. Maybe they are. But when do you find time to have those meetings to not have any clients and to discuss these? We we have a staff meeting every, well, we used to have a staff meeting on Zoom every Wednesday morning for one hour. And we would, we would use it in different ways. Like uh, we would focus, we focus for six weeks on customer service. Um, Right now our focus is on um, for the last six weeks that we just went through was to really establish our values, to understand um, the new non-negotiables, to write our shared agreement. So that is really what we focused on. And now for the next six weeks, we're focused on training and, and development of the staff. And so we're meeting in per- person and we meet every Wednesday morning for two hours. Hmm. So give me an idea, Christine, like give me a glimpse into your meeting because this sounds so awesome. Do you first as a leader, do you have, do you already know what those values are going to be and you're kind of guiding your team or are you a hundred percent letting the team come up with the values? So I have specific values that i I personally value, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I will let them know what my values on a personal level are, but I also want to make sure that as a team, we come up with shared values together. And so I think it's almost impossible for every single person on the team to have exactly the same values. I mean, it really is impossible um, because my values are not going to match exactly what those are. So for me, it was important that we all picked ones that we knew that we could create non-negotiable behaviors on. Like, what are the behaviors that would be negative towards each other and the business? And so that's really how we thought about it. And in each value that we picked, how does this value going to show up in our interviews? How is this value going to show up in our training? How is the value going to show up in our customer service? How is so we would then take that each value and we would think about how it's going to show up in each area of our business. That's really cool. Okay. I mean, you're, I I could probably speak to you for hours about your systems and processes and how you come up with this stuff. But we were, we were talking a couple of weeks ago. And the reason I asked you on the show is because I, you know, I known you for a while. We've done some couple of trainings together where we, we led and, you know, helped entrepreneurs with sales. Um, and personally, I think you're amazing. And when you come in a room, like everybody knows you're, you're a woman with your own style. Like everybody's in a suit. You showed up in a black skirt with like boots, <laughs> with, you know, three heel boots and like, like, all right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something different about Christine. I like it. <laughs> but when COVID hit, well, we talked a couple of weeks ago about two things. One is your rental property that caused a ton of health issues for you. And the other was when COVID hit, what happened with your landlords and things like that. Did What was the time frame? What came first, the um, the rental property situation or COVID? Well, actually, that was my house. But um, so what happened was in 2017, I invested the most that I ever invested in a personal coach. Um, it was... You know, I, I always say to people, it was like a down payment on a house. I never invested in somebody before like this. And I invested in a coach 
And at the same time, the reason why I invested in, in my coach, Paul, was that I was opening up a second location. And I really wanted a thinking partner because I wanted to do it, but I was nervous about doing it. And so How'd you pick Paul, by the way, because Paul's my coach. You know, I've invested <laughs> in the same coach a few years later, but how did you pick? How did you find out about Paul? So I, I found out because I was part of the John Maxwell team and I joined the John Maxwell team in 2014. Paul stole, told the story about his stuttering and I related to the story about my dyslexia. And I just knew the mindset part was for me. So I immediately got was very gravitated towards his work and I followed him for many years. And when I decided that I was going to invest in this business, I wanted somebody to walk me through thinking bigger. Like, how is this going to, how am I really going to do this in a bigger way? What happened was I invested in him. Then I invested in this opening up the salon and the salon is in a 2 million square foot location. So I have to paint the picture. It's, it's the most money that I ever put into, into a build out. So my first build out was like $20,000. My next build out was $80,000. And this was like, you know more than a hundred. And so I was like, okay, I'm really taking my, my, you know, our savings here that I saved for the salon and I'm going to do this, but it's in a 2 million square foot location. There's going to be over 7,000 executives working in the building at all times. So I felt like it's a no brainer. This is what I'm going to do. And it's going to be really successful. Like I wasn't even, I wasn't second guessing that it would be successful. I was just second guessing myself on spending the money. Okay. And so I really needed a thinking partner. So I hired Paul and about um, a month after a couple of weeks after I hired him, I was also purchasing a house. And so I purchased the house. I got in the house and two weeks, no kidding, two weeks before Thanksgiving, I purchased the house. And the day before Thanksgiving, I ended up in the hospital. Mm. The house had, I didn't know it at the time, but the house had toxic mold. I found out and my kids and I both got sick. And all of a sudden we went from buying this new home to homeless. So I spent Thanksgiving, it was supposed to be hosted at my new house. And it ended up, you know, my, myself and my two daughters slept on my brother's, you know, um, basement floor. Then we moved in with my sister, which was like an hour and a half away. So it was commuting an hour and a half to drive my kids to school. Um, and then I moved, I ended up getting a rental property and all in all, I think I, I ended up moving like 11 times. Um, Nothing was covered under insurance. And I got so sick that when I went to go in the house, the the mold remediation company, which this is a whole learning process all on your own, if you ever deal with anything like this, is this is a I went through three mold remediation companies. I lost 30,000 on one of them and they didn't do anything. Um and, and that, that that was the beginning. That's crazy. Nothing was covered under insurance. They basically told me that they have to pull a dumpster up to the house and every single thing that I moved in the house had to be thrown away because now it was exposed to this serious mycotoxin, which is then I, they sent me to a doctor to find out why I reacted so quickly. 
And um, I ended up having something called SEERS, which is chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And basically what it is, is your body doesn't detox on its own. So I think from my industry of being in the salon industry for 30 years and having this gene that doesn't detox, the mold was like the end end all be all. Like it was just, I overflowed and it it was, uh, yeah. So I became chemical and sensitive. So anything, you can't light a candle. I can't use any scented soaps. Every single place that I went into. So for a year, I couldn't go into Lowe's. I couldn't go to the shop, right? I couldn't go to, I couldn't go to a store because. Forget about Beth, Bad and Beyond. No, no. Everything is fragranced. I couldn't. Then what happened was I, I was building a company and all of this was going on. So myself and my daughters. And all my oldest daughter wanted was her own room because she was, you know, she was a teenager. So she was like, mom, I just want, I want a basement to play my music. (laughs) And here we are going from place to place to place. The only thing she has is her Xbox and her TV under her arm. It was, you know, and as a mom, a single mom, especially, it was just devastating that I couldn't, the one thing you want is to build security for your kids. And it's the one thing I couldn't do. So it was oh so you know, so everything hit all at once. I mean, first of all, you got you're doing these three huge things. You got Paul, you're building out the business, you're buying a house, and for some reason, amidst all of this, you scheduled to have Thanksgiving dinner at your new house that you're moved that you just <laughs> bought two weeks ago. <laughs> all right. Course. So that just goes to show your character. Right. That's like, that's ballsy. Like nobody's going to want to do that. I mean, just moving into a new house, you still have boxes. You just, you're new. It's like, no, let's just, I'll also host Thanksgiving. Okay. So you're, you're different. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I get it. And then most of the things that could have gone wrong, they went wrong, including your health that you did not think about. And you're the pivotal point for everything to work. You got two daughters that rely on you. You got this business that relies on you. You got a new house. How did you not like end up pulling your hair out and just quitting at that point? I mean, there were days that I did because um, I didn't feel well. Like it wasn't just the, the um, wasn't just a chemical sensitivity. This has an inflammatory response in my whole body. So everything was inflamed. So um and, and the inflammation was stopping me. So I would pick something up and I would drop it because it would cause was, it was putting pressure on my nerves. So there was times I couldn't get out of bed. So I was really in bad, bad shape. And, um, you can't even cut people's hair at this point. Cause one, you got the toxins there. Plus you can't hold things. Yeah. So it was really, it was very, very challenging. Yeah. So I think that at this point we had moved so many times and I was re I think the thing that got me through was, this is why I believe in personal development so much because I would read and study every single day. What were you reading? There was not one day that went by that I did not study something. So from Think and Grow Rich to As a Man Thinketh to, you know, one of the books that I'm, I'm studying right now, again, and I've done this before, is 
you know, Genevieve Foran. And I just um, have through that process, I think I've read every book by Wayne Dyer that he ever wrote. I would put on my earphones. I lived by the beach for a short time and I would put on my earphones and I would walk the beach. And, and, you know, my dad had passed away the year before. So it was, you know, it's kind of hard not to think like, why is this happening to me? Like, but the one thing that I learned from Paul was that it's not happening to you. It's happening through you. And you just don't know why yet. And the one there's, there's something that Paul would always say, and that is you are not your current circumstance. And so that became my mantra. And I would always say that to myself is you are not your current circumstance. And I would repeat it every day, every day. And um, there, I think what happens, and I, I will, I'll say this to whoever's watching is sometimes when we're in these dire straight moments, opportunities might come to us. And because we're wrapped up in our circumstance, we might not see them. And sometimes they show up and, you know, they're not in the best moments. And I was not in my best moment, but one of my clients sat in my chair who actually happened to be a business coach of mine. And she said, Christine, there's an opportunity to do a TEDx talk on identity. And I really think you should do it. And Eric, I was in the, the middle of losing everything. I didn't have a steady home. I was broke. <laughs> and I was like, how could I do this? Like, I just said to her, I go, oh, it's not the right time. And then within that same moment, I said, no, it's the perfect time. <laughs> it's the perfect time. Um, and then I brought it to Paul and Paul was like, absolutely. 100% you do it. Have you and ever heard that, Paul say, no, don't do it? <laughs> no. no. He's so full of like possibilities and vision. Let me ask you really quick, though. Everybody you named, Napoleon Hill, James Allen, Genevieve B. I can't even pronounce her last name. Wayne Dyer. I've studied those people. Napoleon Hill. Um, and all of them kind of have this idea or philosophy that we are the creators of our world. And Paul does as well. Like I listened, you know, I, I took Paul's fully resourced program, which I think is by far one of his best programs. I don't know how many thinking grow rich programs I've and studies I've been in with him. And what I realized is that we are the creators. So if you, I don't know if you subscribe to that philosophy, but if you did, what do you think going back, what do you think you were creating at that moment that ended in that result? Or was that just a part of what you had to grow through? Oh, no, I created that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I asked this question to Paul, actually, when I was with him, because it was, that was my, one of my questions. I said, how could I create this? Like, because I do believe that fully. Like, I do believe that. And, um, you know, as much as I believe myself, I also am human. And I feel like I do have many times where I'm in doubt, I'm in worry, I'm in fear. And even going forward, like I think this is this whole failing forward is 
you know, have the fear and do it anyway and, and move forward and, and go. Um, but I think as I was doing these things, if I were to think back, what you don't know is I had a deposit and a down payment on a home before this home. And I was, I was dating somebody that, um, that was just not, I, I want to say this, and I don't want to mean to sound like I'm, he wasn't worth my time. He was not a good person. Uh, he didn't have good thoughts. He wasn't, you know, he, he just wasn't in the right state of mind for where I was in my, in my life. And I allowed him, you know, you allow certain people around you. And I allowed him in, in my life. And I asked him for advice. And so I built a vision board. The vision board had this house on it. I found the house. And if I showed you the picture back to back, I use this in a talk that I do. And if I showed you the the picture of the house I put on my vision board and the picture I had on the down payment, you would have said, that is unbelievable. And if I would have trusted my intuition, I would have bought the house. (laughs) Wow. And so for me, what I learned to do and what I'm very, I'm, I'm just driven by this now is to trust my gut. Intuition. And to listen to the right people in my life. And so what I, what I was second guessing myself a lot, I was listening to the wrong people. I was surrounding my, myself with people that just were not worth, you know, my time. And um, I asked somebody in my life that really wasn't, it wasn't the right person to ask. And so I pulled out of that deal. And I went for another house. And I think to myself, if I didn't do that, but I'm, I don't regret what happened because what happened, what happened, you know, I can't really change it. But when I think back, that's the one thing is trust my gut. Wow. Yeah, I was worried about asking you that question and kind of being like, well, did you create that? And I'm so glad I asked and that you were comfortable enough in answering it because I know we're both students of kind of similar philosophies there. I got to tell you one thing, you feel it, right? But either something's flowing in your life or there's breaks, like nothing's happening. Like money you're supposed to receive isn't coming in on time. Contractors that are supposed to show up, don't show up. Accident happens. Somebody (laughs) dies. Like you feel it. And and at that point, a lot of people are like blaming God, blaming everybody else. And I learned to kind of take a step back and say, how am I feeling right now? What, what am I doing to create this, this blockage right now? And how do I release it? And I got to tell you through meditation, visualization, journaling, breathing, every single time, every time it just starts flowing again, every time. And, uh, you know, the practice for me has been just this rampage of gratitude. I just kind of like just focus on, okay, I already have everything. I think it's in when we're in that state of need, I need this to happen. I want this to happen. We just like, we desire all this stuff to happen. We continue to stay in that state of desire, want, and need. The second we're grateful for it as if it's already here, 
yeah. just opens up the floodgates and it's, it's so amazing. So I'm so one, thank you for being so authentic and sharing that. I, I just want to just say like for someone out there that's listening, it's very difficult to go from something like I went through, which you're feeling like you're, you have no, um, I had no stability for a really long time, no home. I bought another home, the house flooded. I lived with my mom and my sister, my other daughter in a, in a spare bedroom for eight months after this is after I lost everything. Like it was just a continual journey of just a nightmare of circumstances. And the one thing I could say is I never really got attached to materialistic things. I always knew that when I knew that I'm the creator and I could continue to create. So it wasn't, yes, I was disappointed that I was going to lose things that meant something to me, but I never, ever thought I'm never going to make money again because if I have value that's going to add value to somebody else, then I'm going to be able to generate an income, right? And so when you're in the, like when you're really down and you're feeling really bad, it's hard to go from zero to 10. And so my best advice to you when you're doing that and you're working in gratitude is sometimes it's just being grateful for the breath. It's yeah. being grateful for the cup of coffee that you're drinking, the pen that you're writing with. The waking up in the morning. Waking but, up. Like I just wouldn't try to try to go too far when you're low. Just try to go to the next place, you know, and that's what helped me to gain my confidence. Yeah. And the other advice that I would give is if you have a talent or something that can add value to someone else, do it even though you're down because the minute you help someone else, you, it, you help yourself. Oh, that's such brilliant advice. Okay. We've been going at this for probably about an hour now, but I, I can't leave you in this low place. Come on. T- tell us how, how'd you get out? <laughs> so I got out because, um, well, I couldn't go into my business for a year and I just started actually. Um, so thankfully, I was I put the systems in place. I had a next person in line. I had a manager that ran my salon that allowed me to get out of my company for a year. Um, and I just I just focused on health. So I focused on I, I bought an infrared sauna for my house. I bought a pulse magnetic therapy machine. And I did, and I exercised, I got out in fresh air. And so little by little, I just gained my confidence. And then um, I started an online company the year I couldn't go into the salon. And so um, I started coaching online. I also developed uh, another company with partners. So I have three partners in the salon business and we teach leadership. And then um, I teach salon, some salon owners, some executives, um, I do a lot of business coaching. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you're like, there's always something you can do. You're never down and out. You may be down, but you're never out. No, nope. no. And I think it goes back to, you know, I, I 
believe a lot in um, in that Thomas Trow word in the spirit of opulence. I think, you know, and really keeping that open flow of energy and the flow of circulation going. And I think the most important thing for me is I know that I have um, a talent or a gift or, or something that I worked on that can add value to somebody else. And I'm going to move forward doing that. Wow. If you're, if you're in any leadership position in a company right now and you don't hire Christine to come in and tell her story and pump up your leaders so they can develop better leaders, you're messing up. Christine, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your incredible, unbelievable story. I absolutely loved our conversation, and I'm so looking forward to seeing you soon in Florida, probably in what, June, July? June. We're getting together, yeah? All right. Awesome. Thanks for being here, Christine. Thanks so much, Eric. Great to be here. If you're not in the Facebook group yet, Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Mastermind, join it, and I look forward to seeing you in there. Bye, everybody. You've listened to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a nice review. And if you're not a part of our tribe on Facebook, be sure to head over to Facebook and join Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Tribe. I look forward to speaking with you in the tribe. Have a great day.